This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with soccer coach and coach educator David Garcia. He discusses his formative coaching experience with the Spanish FA and how this helped develop him as a practitioner, his practice and practice design beliefs in order to develop players, as well as the importance of pattern recognition when trying to analyse the game. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Awesome. So, David, I know this has been a little bit of back and forth. We're on a different software and stuff, which, again, is all good. But, um, yeah, sh- sh- looking forward to this conversation. How are things going? Things are good. Things are good. It's uh, busy, busy as always, but it's the, the good kind of busy with exciting things on, on the plate. Good. So for people that maybe don't know you, haven't come across your work, etc., do you just want to give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour of who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah, I, um, I, I guess I'm an American coach um, who, uh, you know, uh, eight years ago now, I moved to Spain to uh, to pursue my UEFA licensing, which was kind of a different path to to I guess my other peers, who who I had been working with here in the United States, um, and in when I moved to Spain to, to pursue my UEFA licensing, I, I kind of started off on a different path and it led me down um, maybe a different way of thinking of football, which ultimately um, led me to, to, to starting a, a, a blog, really. Um, it was a website at that time. Uh, it's called It's Just a Sport. And really the purpose of that website at that time was um, just to get my reflections of, of everything that that I was learning in, in my time in Spain. Um, and and it was very informal. it was it was primarily for me, but then obviously people started started reading a little bit. and and from then I, I have always done that alongside of my my career as uh, my my coaching career as a form of of reflection of any experiences that I, that I had in my coaching career, I, I tried to, to to make sense through through writing and through the website, and and over the course of uh, several years now, it's developed, and now I you know I try to offer different platforms for for coaches, and um, so that's that's kind of my my backstory of of how I've uh, and where I am, you know, where I started. Um, yep. Yeah, no, all good. So I think if we start with what traditional soccer looks like in the US, so when you said obviously going to Spain was a bit of a culture shock to a certain degree, what does normality look like in the US? Well, first thing is that it's changed a lot since when I was growing up and playing, right? So um, I remember growing up, it was difficult to even watch to find places to watch football. Um, we used to go go over to a friend's house, this, this Spanish guy who who had bought like some sort of package where we could watch uh, the Spanish channels, and and we would be able to watch Barca and and Real Madrid. So it was back then when I was growing up, there wasn't it wasn't as accessible as it is now in the United States. Um, I think that's 
that's probably the main difference that I that I see now. But I but I guess the biggest culture shock that I saw in in that like first moment from from being a coach and a player and having the experiences I had here in the United States to then moving to to Spain and and seeing it differently is that I felt that players were 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 treated with more with more respect in terms of their their intelligence of the game so this might be unfair but i but i i felt like in the united states we often dumbed it down uh for players because we kind of assumed that that maybe they didn't have the understanding of the game so it was often isolated uh training um the game broken into in different you know isolated parts whereas in in spain and pretty much everywhere i went there was there was kind of a a, um, a more holistic approach in terms of technique equal decisions it was it was one in in together it was the same thing and for me that was a big big eye-opening moment in realizing well if technical actions equal tactical intentions then that changes how we should train and the methodology we should use and that was the biggest shock to me uh is is that kind of like perspective of, of the game and of, of coaching and so how did how did that realization come about because I, I wouldn't imagine like that's the first thing they go into on their coaching courses and go oh just by the way so how what yeah describe that journey to us in terms of when you actually look look to do your AFA licenses how did you go about locating which one you wanted to do and then what what did that process of going across look like and then yeah when you actually got there and you were on board what started what point did you start realizing actually this is really different and this is going to be amazing for me to digest the first moment i realized it was actually in the united states it was my my dad at one point he, he he's also a, a a youth coach here in the in the united states and uh, this must have been like probably a decade ago now um maybe a little bit longer 11 12 years um he he went over to spain and he he just wanted to meet get a different perspective uh, long story short he met some spanish coaches and he invited them to come to the united states to run some summer camps and they came to the united states and and we would run summer camps for you know eight weeks at a time and they would stay with us and and they would ask me if, if i could help out and work those summer camps and it was in those summers where sitting around a table planning the the sessions of those summer camps and they would review the sessions they would film everything which was kind of new to me as well they would film everything and and we would review everything in the evenings and plan everything for the next day it was that was the first moment where i felt this is different this isn't the same the same treatment that i had received as a player or anything in the short coaching career that i had had at that point anything that i had ever uh, experienced that was the first moment from there 
one of the, the Spanish guys, his name's Antonio Barea. He, he was a UEFA instructor and he invited me to Spain to do my UEFA licensing. Um, and it was, it was, it was unfortunate that I wasn't able to do it that first year that I made it to Spain. Um, however, I kept on playing and it was in the playing aspect that I also noticed differences because, you know, it was a, a different playing experience at the time. Um, and that's where I noticed the way that, that training sessions were, were presented to us, the way that they discussed things with us, where everything was tactics and, and, and actions together. Everything was, was combined. Um, so that playing career, that one year that I played in Spain, was definitely eye-opening as well. And then when I started to do actually do the UEFA courses, that's when I noticed I had some fantastic instructors. I had, like I mentioned, Antonio Barea, uh, a guy by the name Oscar Cano Moreno, who's a professional coach. He, he primarily w works in the third division of Spain, but he's written many books on positional play. Um, I had a, a guy named David Tenorio. And all of them, I feel like, kind of opened up this world to me. And it was, now that I look back on it, I, I received that kind of paradigm shift in doses. Like in, it was those summers, it was short doses. Then it was that playing experience where I was get, getting to experience but didn't know what was behind the curtain uh, per se. And then when I got into the UEFA courses, you know, everything opened up for me. And it was that those, you know, uh, kind of baby steps into to this new uh, methodology, a new way of, of perspective of looking at it that that ultimately like led me on this different path, um, which you know I've been fortunate enough to to try to harness some of those learnings and insights that I've learned over time to to hopefully provide different perspective to others. So when when we're looking at the UEFA courses themselves, what type of format did they take place? Because I know we, you know we've had Greg Patterson on here from the Scottish FA. They do it a different way to the English FA, who do it a different way to the Welsh FA. I think everyone has their way of of doing it. And I I remember watching a program on Netflix that, that followed the German, I think, pro license, and it was quite an interesting program. Whilst having to deal with the subtitles, it was really interesting to learn about. So, what did the format of the of the Spanish one look like when you're at when it was actually being delivered to you? So it, it followed a a like scholastic year, so a, a school year. So we would start in about September time, and and what it was is um, we would it was in person. Everything was in person. Um, we would meet three times a week and it was usually you know in the evening some well always in the evenings from five to about nine um, and and we would just go through different blocks of, uh, of 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 classes so it started very general in terms of um first aid in terms of of uh understanding youth understanding uh how how the the human body works the, the laws of the game i remember there was a the a refereeing course so there's a referee that actually gave one of the courses uh, one of the classes and he you had to be knowledgeable in the rules of the game and he he would he would be very 
critical that, that everybody knew the rules and what had to happen. Um, I didn't understand the time, but that's one of the, the one of the important things that I feel like is that, that you should know what what makes the game the game. Um, and then as you went through the the year, it got more and more specific. And I remember towards the end of the year, there was uh, Antonio gave a class on tactics and and, and technique, which was was basically. Uh, understanding the technical actions in relation to tactical intentions. Oscar Cano Moreno, he did a course on methodology. Uh, David Tenorio, he did a course on, I believe uh, it was training session development. So it got very specific and, and those classes or those, those specific courses within the, the larger uh, overarching yearly course, like you had to pass every course with a certain amount of with, with a grade, and every every course had had their every class had their um, their exams and and their their projects that you had to do, and then sometimes it was group, sometimes it was individual, and then to finish the entire year, you had to do a practical part of your of of the UEFA course for that year, and that meant that you had to work with a team. For I can't remember how long it was, but but most people, in, including me, worked with the team throughout the year, and you had to write basically a, a thesis on on something for the year. So there was a particular thing that that you, and you had a a uh, like a mentor or uh, somebody that could help you with it, and and you had to for provide some sort of research, something that, that was interesting to you and that you could, like a dissertation, um, and then you had to present it. And, and that was probably the most difficult coaching education experience I had ever done because it was, they were very thorough. Like you had to be very detailed with your notes. You had to, to, um, to you know, provide... Uh, clear indications about your the, about what you were working on, what you were studying, um, and then presented in a way that that provided some sort of conclusion. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because it's it sounds quite academic to a certain degree, which I'd imagine, and this I guess talking from from what I know of the UK seeing would potentially put some barriers up for individuals within this country because um, i know that you know some individuals go into coaching and they are not interested in the academic side or whatnot at all so i think it's really interesting the fact that there's almost a level of structure which the the spanish fa are going after and you need to be able to provide um i guess clarity on, on what your intentions are when working with these players and have a rationale for why you're acting the way that you are yeah i would say that yeah that's i i, I can't be for sure in in their intentions but it's it definitely felt that way and and within and just to be clear it was within those specific classes like i said the for example, the technical and, and tactical, uh, there would be practical elements within those. So sometimes we would meet at a field and there would be a team that, that would have volunteered um, 
to help us run training sessions. Uh, so there was practical elements within that, but it was always linked to the 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 theory that we were learning in 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 the classroom. Yeah, I, th I think that sounds similar. And I put into clarity the UK one or the English one at the moment. Sorry, they um, do kind of six blocks. You'll do the areas of play, so playing out or building the attack, pressing from the front, playing through midfield, and all that type of stuff. And at the end, you have kind of a presentation slash um, project that you put together to say, you know, this is what I've learned over these six blocks, etc. So from that point perspective, it sounds quite similar. But I think what's really interesting is the thesis bit and also almost using the, the participants as uh researchers for the country because you know if you're getting feedback from people that are working on how to you know i'm plucking something out of out the air here but how to produce more dual-footed players and if that's someone's thesis project and then they're giving you results of things that have worked it allows you to almost spread good practice across the country so i think that's actually a really nice way of potentially gaining case studies without having to pay people to go and do the research for you to a certain yeah. degree yeah yeah i think that's that's probably one of the the, the positives of that um so you you mentioned a few times and i think this is uh, like a fascinating piece is how how the the tactical elements of the game directly link to technical output and rather than dissecting those two things separately it's there's an emphasis on playing you know the, the skill has to be assessed and challenged within the technical and tactical aspects of the game. So what, I guess, for clarity, what does that look like in, from a day-to-day -day basis? Um, and yeah, how do you begin to, to work on a particular element of the game or a particular skill within the game with that type of overview? So when i did and i remember very, this class very vividly because it was antonio and he's become a, a good mentor of mine and a good friend um so we've stayed in touch over the years uh, but he ran that class and and i remember him starting by by asking whether we thought juggling was a skill was a technique and and we had this whole debate and and the the conclusion of that of that class i remember him being like juggling is in and of itself it's just a circus trick it's it's there's no tactical intention behind it therefore it's it's not a a, a necessary technique to 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 be a better player and and that has that the way he presented that and the way he started that has always stuck with me from there, you know, I've I've experienced a lot over over the years since then. Um, cause, but the the way that that I've come to understand it is that the the players and and are are attempting to achieve something in game situation, right? There's some sort of intention that they're trying to achieve, and the way that they achieve that is through some form of of execution some form of 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 action or really an interaction with the game and an understanding providing 
situations and providing opportunities of those situations and those problems that the players may have to face in the game will then highlight the the technical aspects that might be necessary and and i emphasize the word might because we can sometimes go into a session saying well they'll need to be good passers and good dribblers and this that and the other all these technical things but then the player solves it in a way that you didn't imagine right so going each in, into each session with a a idea about the game situation and what it is you want to present to the player and then you observe how they are how they use their, their 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 abilities their skills whatever is 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 natural to them their execution to solve that and they may do it in in a way you know players there's some players that are, are have tendencies to to dribble more to pass more or to and and they may solve that you know in in, in different ways and it's it's through those observations of how they're solving it and then maybe if they're incapable they're incapable of solving those situations or they're struggling or they're then you say okay it looks like maybe uh you know you're struggling with the the speed of the pass so it keeps getting intercepted which just doesn't allow us to to progress forward yada 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 let's let's look a little bit more into how we can hit the ball a little bit harder a little bit faster so the ball gets there so we can progress so there's always a in order to right we, we pass in order to to find a teammate who is further up the field or, or in order to we dribble in order to get past the defender or if if we can always link actions to intentions using in order to ultimately we get to to the the end result which is hopefully score a goal or prevent the the opposition from scoring a goal and by always having that connection to the the higher order in order to then then we can keep the game connected and those actions stay connected to the tactical intentions perhaps uh, so that's kind of an overview and, and then from there you know you can be very specific in in terms of uh, and it would be you know for youth players it might be less of a, a a tactical plan right and more of an understanding about just if we want to possess the ball so we, we can progress the ball as opposed to if you're working with with a, an age group where it's about competing it's about winning then it's you know we want to progress the ball into these certain areas so we can and we we know that will that might cause the opposition more more difficulties right um but those are always linked to everything is interconnected. So in terms of, I guess, assessment of players, how, how do you differentiate between poor uh, decision-making and game understanding and poor technique? Because you can make an argument to say if someone is inefficient in a technique, so for example, I'm terrible with my left foot because I didn't practice it when I was little that me attempting to use my left foot could be a poor decision because it's a technique that 
I highly struggle with. So yeah. how how yeah, how do you differentiate what's a good or bad decision from a good or bad technique if you have that dual mm-hmm. uh, dual yeah, that dual understanding? One of the best ways to do that is by asking. By asking the players. So we and and I and I fall victim to this as well. We sometimes assume that we know what they were trying to do. But in that assumption, we we then fall into that trap of maybe saying, well, it's an execution problem because I, I know that they were trying to hit that ball, but they didn't hit that ball. And yes, there are times where through our observation, and, and usually like if you watch, if you observe players and you watch their eyes, often you'll have an idea of what they're intending to do because your gaze gives away your intentions often but that happens so quickly that that might not be the best tool at times especially if 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 you know if players is a further distance from from you then that's not possible so by asking players you start by the, that conversation by saying i noticed that you just describe you try to do your best to just describe what you saw and then you can say something along the lines of were you trying to pass it to so and so or were you trying to or what were you trying to do in that situation right and if they tell you well you know i was trying to uh to to pass it long or i was trying to um to beat that player right often in that answer it'll give you a better idea of maybe their their intentions or their decision was was not the appropriate one or maybe wasn't the most effective one in that situation and at that point it it would be very clear that that's maybe where you could guide them a little bit more on but if they were like well i was trying to pass it there and it was very clear that the ball did not get to where they were trying to pass it to then that's a, a clear indicator of a uh maybe a, a technical um, uh, flaw or, or, or a technical mistake or something that, that they can improve on. And the other part to this is there's times when, and I'm sure it's happened to you as a player, is that you, you're ca- you know you're capable of something and there's instances where you hit the ball and it doesn't go where you want it to, but you know that you have the ability to do so right that's if we can observe if we can identify what's an instance and what's a pattern like if there's a consistent pattern of like you like you reference for yourself a player who doesn't use their left foot as much then then it's very clear right so if we can identify multiple instances to then become a pattern of a of a technical or an execution-based problem, then we can provide some further training or some further guidance about that specific execution. Um, But if it's just one instance, you know, I usually give them the benefit of the doubt um, that that maybe that's a a one-off. But for the most part, I think when you work with, with a team for long term 
you have a pretty good idea of what players are capable of and what they struggle with right so, so I think, if, yeah no that, that makes sense so if i look at something like uh maybe combination play in the final third yeah that's one i think traditionally has been done with a lot of wave practice a lot of um you know uh unopposed work going oh we're just going to try and get the tempo of the play and even i was watching the man city warm up the other day and they're doing shots against a goalkeeper unopposed in a line like you would when you're like six or seven years old mm -hmm. how how would you uh, i guess go around in your training environments creating a situation where there's uh, like a tactical element mm -hmm to that opposed practice uh, to that like opposed situation because obviously if you were if you're talking about it from a tactical point of view you need i guess a level of opposition in there so you have to make a decision dependent on where players are or where players are moving to mm -hmm. so how would you how would you go around yeah developing a practice around that type of drill to ensure that there's high levels of repetition so they get lots of opportunities to make decisions but it's also so that um it's game realistic or game relative so that they can get an understanding of the decision and the technique would you mind clarifying that question a little bit yeah no that's fine so like obviously if, if you look at crossing and finishing for example or combination mm -hmm. of final third i think a lot of the time that is done where i as a coach would set you a pattern that you have to do so mm -hmm. I'm saying to you, you have to play into the nine who bounces back to the cam, who plays wide, who then crosses in. That obviously isn't integrating any sort of tactical element because all mm -hmm. that is is a prescribed pattern of this is what you're going to do. Now, yeah, you've got the positions in there, but you're not actually, you know, utilising space or you're not utilising switches to find an overload or anything like that. I guess in the in the concept that you've spoken about quite a lot here is around uh, utilizing techniques that also link to tactical challenges or problems within the game. So, I, yeah, I guess my question is, how would you in that type of context create a session that allows the integrity of the technique to still stay within the tactical framework rather than what has traditionally happened, which is the the technique is then isolated from any sort of tactical element okay yeah that, that i appreciate you clarifying that for me uh, yeah in fact that's that's probably one of the the and you mentioned that you know around the goal creating scoring chances and and those moments are they're so difficult to recreate because or or let me let me rephrase that they're so difficult to to help in terms of execution because everything happens so quickly right it's everything around the goal is there's very little space therefore it requires um there's minimal time minimal space which means players have to execute almost unconsciously right they have to be primarily unconscious about about how they're how they're executing that so the the best way to do that i always work from work backwards start with the the game situation so say um let's let's speak very practically so let's say that it's um that you want to 
um, you want to create a situation around uh, wide, wide combinations. So the way that I do that and is I draw literally just for my thought process, I draw it out on some form of a, a, a board, right? Like a virtual board where I can see and can try to visualize and try to imagine what situation and what that might look like. And from there, I almost like draw out squares and draw areas. So I would highlight an area. So imagine you highlight the, the uh, half space area getting close to the, to, to the goal, right? So like that, that middle channel, maybe a wide area as well. And what, what players might be involved? Who might need to contribute in that situation? Which players will, will most likely be involved in those, in those interactions? And then additionally, which opponents will be involved in those interactions? And what pattern do, do they typically, do we typically see? Using, working backwards from there, it's easier to recreate, maybe it's a three versus two going to goal that is, um, or, or maybe uh, um, maybe more players, maybe let's say there's uh, uh, maybe four versus three, right? So there's three attackers, maybe there's four defenders. We can kind of imagine there's a center back, there's a, the right back, and then there's some sort of winger who has come and recovered, and then there's some sort of six who's, who's shifted over to that side, and three players have to try to beat four, four players in that sense, in that situation. So you can recreate that particular game situation, and by manipulating certain aspects about it, maybe that's the starting point of the, of the defenders, of the, the opponents, then that creates different uh, that might create different interactions between the attackers, right? Like if you start one of the defenders that has to recover into an area, then that means the the speed of execution that that the attackers have to play with is they have to go quickly, otherwise the defender recovers. And then at that point, it becomes a four versus three. It becomes much more difficult. Or maybe it's um, a much more zoomed out version. And instead of uh, just a wide area, it's the entire you know third, the last third, the attacking third. And we have that back line of four. And we can manipulate certain, uh, again, I often, well, I like to use starting positions or or you can manipulate where you put goals or you can use zonal uh, constraints. You can use many different variations of, of constraints to try to, to present a different type of problem for the player, which might create a different combination. So specifically, and this is funny you ask that because the most recent training session that I had, I wanted, I, I wanted to create a situation where players might see the need for a, a one-two, but without, my goal was, I don't want to tell them. I don't want to tell them that, that a, a kind of a wall pass, so like I pass to you and then I run forward, would be a good situation or would be a good solution to, to that attacking problem. Uh, but by creating a field that was very narrow and long and 
kind of pretty dense in terms of, of players, you know, player to space ratio. It forced players to to make runs forward because there wasn't a lot of space in wide areas. So it was it, it, it created a, a it was a, a, a five versus three rondo, but like I said, it was very uh, narrow, and they had to advance into an end zone to be able to score. And and they started to do it. They started to they they found it frustrating at first, right? They found it difficult, but they you know they, they start to 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 one of them starts to try it. One of them plays and runs forward. And then you can highlight that and say, hey, so-and-so, can you show us what you what you did here? And then they show. And through that manipulation, in that particular instance, I manipulated the space, the playing area, to try to make it narrow and try to, to in encourage or, or create the conditions that might lead to that kind of uh, combination. It, it, it did emerge. Um, the the way that I that I view how you design a training activity is, is a little bit like like painting, right? Like um, you you know that the you have your canvas and you know the the instruments that you have, you know the paint colors that you have, and and you want to try to use all the elements that you know you have at your disposal to to create somewhere. And then the, the beauty about it is once I have this painting, the training activity, the players then have to view it or they're the, interacting with it. And I'm curious whether, whether what I was trying to have emerge does emerge. Or sometimes the best part is when you're surprised. You know, like you're surprised by some of the things to do. Like, for example, in that same activity, there was a player who kept trying to like scoop the ball and like play teammates forward. There wasn't a lot of place to play over the top, but he he thought, well, I could just scoop it and play it right over the top of the defender and have my player, my teammate, run onto it. And he did that a few times, and I was like, whoa, this, this, there was no way I could have ever imagined that that would happen. But because I didn't tell them what to do, it, I was surprised by by how they solved it. Um, so that's that's a little bit my thought process. And I know that's kind of. I wish I could show a little bit more, uh, but that's that's a little bit how I I view training: is you create the conditions for things to emerge, and sometimes it does emerge, and sometimes you're surprised by the things that emerge, and that's the the best part. Yeah, I, th I think that makes complete sense in terms of, of how you structure it and maybe looking for some, some particular outcomes. I guess one of the uh, – I, I saw a clip on social media recently of, I think, the Barcelona under-10s versus Real Madrid's under-10s, and the standard of it was really, really high. And probably the, the bit that stood out to me was the composure on the ball for a lot of the players of being able to run in in multi directions and you know stay on the ball for long periods do you attribute though the spanish's notorious ability on the ball in terms of receiving in tight areas or being able to stay on the ball all over the pitch to having a, a good 
or excellent game understanding do you think that these two things mirror together or do you think there's another underlying factor I think one of the uh, the the things that did surprise me about S Spain is that often we see the end result of a player's career, and in, in Spanish football, we say, "Oh, look how how well they pass." But I think what we're what what I was surprised by is how much emphasis they put on the the player and ball relationship. Like lots and lots of games around one versus one, one versus two, where you still have to maintain possession. You have to try to beat two defenders. A lot of, of, excuse me, a lot of, of ball manipulation, but in terms of still trying to achieve something, right? And and in those instances where there's not a lot of space and the the way that you you achieve success in certain in certain games in small sided games is by being really good on the ball like you have to really protect the ball that's one of the things that surprised me the the most about when i first started actually going to to training fields and and, and watching youth players is that they're all very good on the ball and it wasn't that they I'm sure, like, partly is because of the culture, right? Like, there's always a ball. You, you, I, I was also an English teacher in, in, in Spain. And in schools, there was always a ball at recess. And there's, there's like, 80 kids in this, in this place. And the only way that you can ever keep the ball is by being really good at keeping the ball. And, and there's, like, 20 defenders. So th partly it's the, it's the culture, is that, that there's the kids that, that play are obsessed and they have a ball around them and they always have a ball. But also I think part of that is in training sessions, they were, they were almost expected or they, they, they were put in situations where protecting the ball was a, as an individual, like protecting the ball as in, I don't want this defender to steal the ball or these two defenders to steal the ball from me was was emphasized heavily at least in in the and, and i was in the south of spain at that time which is a fantastic region like sevilla um cadiz uh, granada that whole andalusia region has some incredible incredible football and that's the the big thing that that i that i noticed was yes we see passing as the end result but we don't see when they're seven eight nine ten there's so much small-sided games in tight areas where you have to be so good on the ball and the other thing that i at, at one point considered is that they have so many teams in in so many players sometimes and so so little fields that sometimes teams train on like a sixth of a field and it'll be the like 20 kids you know, 18 kids training on a, a sixth of a field. So the only option is to play in super tight spaces. And it's in those spaces that probably they develop. And this is just a, this is an assumption. There's a theory is they might develop their, they grow that relationship with the ball. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, ability to deal with chaos. If you can 
deal with the ball in those tighter areas, then you're definitely going to be able to do it as the pitches get slightly bigger. Although obviously there'll be challenges on different things like your ball striking. But I know there was a there was a massive fad in the UK of of people going for tiny, tiny pitches to try and get those similar outcomes, which is interesting. Um, I guess moving on slightly, and funny I should bring up the chaos stuff. Obviously, you mentioned around your your blog and whatnot, and there's some brilliant articles on there um with a variety of different things like you've got the thinking frameworks and, and solve your problems one and the one that probably stood out for me was around the uh pass or dri uh, dribble decision making about being risk averse or i guess i call it risk reward so what are you getting out of that type of thing i guess from from your perspective when, when you're looking at these types of topics um what draws your eye to a particular area like when you're trying to discuss these things and yeah like the risk reward one you've given some really good examples of, of Romeo and Dijon at, at Barcelona how um how do you go around dissecting players play to understand maybe where there's some tactical implications to their decision decision making and then then mm. again technique as this has been very heavy based around that yeah I <laughs> So I think one of the biggest um, one of the biggest skills a coach can have is their ability to notice patterns. So observe what is happening and start to almost and this is I can only explain it how I view it and how I sense it and how I how I feel it is it's almost like a, a, a so I, I, I'm watching, as I watch things, and it could be watching a game, uh, a professional game, or it could be watching the teams that I coach, or it could be watching my, my the, maybe a team from, from the club that, that I'm, I'm walking by a field and I notice things. As I'm watching, I start to say, like, my attention immediately, and obviously my attention over the course of time starts to pick up things that i'm biased to right like so for example where players move their positioning like what their tendencies are and as i notice one thing that catches my eye i almost like make a note of it and then if i notice it again then i start to to almost like put it in this folder of like this is a tendency this, this is starting to become a pattern and in that in that article that that you mentioned it i mean it's it's not it's not groundbreaking it's it's pretty obvious that that um i, I, I compare uh, frankie de young with um uh, romeo um from barcelona and de young obviously has a habit of of uh, and a tendency to try to beat players and he he's a, he's fantastic at turning players and it doesn't matter where he is on the pitch he tries to turn a player and there's other players who who have you notice this it's almost like you notice the same conditions because you've been watching you know i, I had been watching frankie de young in a certain position in certain areas with certain conditions always try to turn a player and then you see a different player and you're like you almost expect that player to tr also try to turn a player and then they pass it you, you that then catches my attention say huh that and and from there from that like you notice this thing and you're like, oh yeah, 
he this player continues to pass it in in when other players are trying to dribble and then the next question is why so you you lead in you you go on this on this path you know sparked by curiosity of asking why and and wondering why and seeing if you can can find other instances of it and, and try to find a theory around it and try to ask and and this is a, a antonio had always antonio but yeah and i speak about him a lot because he's I, I speak to him often he's one of what i consider a good mentor of mine he he always used to say and he's he said this to me on a few occasions when you start to ask new questions you get new answers and and when you can start to say why and 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 maybe ask a different question around well you know in in a, a, in the defensive third around when in our build up do we always have to pass or can we can we dribble out right so the, asking those new questions can lead you in a new path of new answers and but that all of that that whole process starts with noticing patterns and for me being able to notice patterns and then like keep a log of them, like a mental note of them has always been very helpful to me. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that starts with attention where your attention goes, but that's a whole nother can of worms. No, I think it's, it's an interesting point because you said the analytical nature of, of football does lend itself to that and I actually think you know some of the some of the best in-game coaches are probably those that are able to analyze and recognize patterns or challenges or, or or what opponents are trying to do quickly and it's actually how can you teach yourself that skill if, if you're a coach and you're looking to win games obviously at the younger age groups isn't that's not as it figure an issue you're probably looking more at developmental stuff and how you're going to support the players but if you're at the top end looking to win games how can you train yourself how can you train your brain how can you train your eyesight to understand patterns or rationale or whys as the game's going on to help you come up with a solution to a problem because ultimately you need to be able to do it and then if you can do it you want to ideally train your players to be able to do the same so they have an understanding of okay they're going after this which means we could counter with xyz and kind of utilize that so i think it's a, a really interesting point you make around you know analyzing stuff and going what well, is there a different way of solving this problem and why i watched the Tottenham game last night as a spurs fan and staying high as nine as nine men was a, it was a new one for me but i, I guess i understand the why i think if van der ven had stayed on it would have been an interesting one because he actually did okay um and he's a bit quicker than the other two that came on so yeah i, I, I think the analytical side is a really interesting one and probably one that we as coaches how do you train yourself to get better at that to support mm -hmm. the players it's a hard question, yeah, because I do think that that is the the what it ultimately sets sets apart a a good coach is that they train they have trained their attention and often it's training they have trained their attention unconsciously. So there's things that you don't know and you don't know that you know. Do you know what I mean? Like that. 
attention is a, is a oh man i i've gone on to way too many rabbit holes of trying to to understand the the psychology of attention and try to understand how people learn but one of the things that i have learned is that attention and and what people pay attention to is goal driven or objective driven which means that if you don't have goals and and goals also means some sort of consequence if you don't have objectives or goals that force your attention to pay attention to those things then your brain will never do it and i always use the example of a a, a real estate agent or a realtor as we call it here in the united states somebody that, that sells houses um and and a thief so a, a thief walks into a house and they notice the 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 jewelry they notice the alarm that potentially the house has they notice the 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 nice silverware or they notice the stereo uh however when a a real estate agent walks into a house they notice the big windows they notice the where the sun comes in they notice the paint color they notice the that how big the bedrooms are the closet space the bathrooms two two people can walk into that same house and pay attention and also ignore many like opposing things because their objectives are different and how I've then related this to, to to football and to getting better as a coach is if you're watching with an objective in mind, okay, maybe it's less, uh, you know, it's less enjoyable, less, and for me it's not, but, you know, so you say this, I'm going to watch um, to see maybe a specific player. Right, so then as you're watching that specific player, you're ignoring everything else. Therefore, you might pick up things about this specific player. And then additionally, the, the other part of this is if you're in roles where, for example, uh, if you're the analyst at Manchester City and you're watching games and the consequences of you not picking up the patterns of the the opposition is that your team loses and then Guardiola is like why didn't you notice these things that that's a high consequence so then as you're you're going through that activity as you're doing your work your brain is going to be hyper focused on picking up those patterns because you know that the ultimate the skin in the game the consequence of you not doing it is high right and, and i think that's that's that is how you get better that's why when you're put in <clears throat> excuse me when you're when you're in roles where you have to be good there's no other choice like nobody wants to fail there's no other choice other than your brain learning over time because you learn through consequences and you learn oh man i didn't notice their set pieces or i didn't notice where um whatever it is that you didn't notice and that had a consequence so you know i i often have coaches that reach out to me and say how can i get better my, my first answer is always you have to have skin in the game you have to have some sort of consequence that is going to force you to get better 
You have to be in charge of a team where players will look up to you and say, you know, why aren't you helping me? Why aren't, why aren't we improving? Right. Those, those roles where there are genuine consequences for you not being as good as you can be will without a doubt help you improve. And, you know, I, that's probably my, my best answer in terms of how you can improve your attention and, and pick up patterns is put yourself in situations where that's the only choice. You have to do it. Otherwise, it's a perceived failure. I think I think the interesting bit around that as well is the, the in-game piece. So I've watched um, the Amazon Prime Time stuff on Thursday nights with football. And he sees the AI being able to pick up blitz packages and stuff and whatnot. Now, one, that's incredible. The fact that AI is capable of doing that and giving you a probability of what the quarterback should be looking for. But I also think that is useful post-match or pre-match as a tool to, you know, give your players attention towards a certain look or whatever that may be. In football, it might be a certain move. But the game's so fluid, football's so fluid that actually you need players and people that are able to react there and then at that moment right now to what they see. And so, yeah, I think your, your bit around what your attention looks like is it's, it's a skill I think that everyone needs to, to develop. And maybe, like you said, having some skin in the game so that actually matters of what in you know players are going to come and question you and say, you know, when there's an injury, they're going to come and say, coach, what are you seeing? Or this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? And it being more of a, not a fluffy answer, but needing to be some tangible things. I spoke to Dave Whitmore, who's a cricket coach over here. And cricket's a fascinating sport because the captain does the majority of the work in cricket. The coaches sit on the sideline and we'll do a little bit of work if it's a test match, you know, during tea, during lunch. But the actual tactical decisions are implemented by the captain on the pitch. Mm -hmm. And so I was saying to him about how do you get 15, 16-year-olds to develop an IQ, you know, and he, he says about different different techniques. And it's made me question really, like, how you can do that better in-game with players to get them to come and say what they see or challenge what the team's doing um which i think is a better uh, space to get much better in attention wise um but yeah that's just me rambling on, on the idea that i've had it's something that i'm working on at the moment no that makes sense and then and, and yeah if we apply that further to to youth football if if every time something's going wrong in the game you give a solution to the players or you tell them hey let's do this that or the other then they have no skin in the game Right, so at times it's it's passing on that that consequence, that role, that responsibility, accountability for. Yeah, I want you to take accountability for what's, what's going to happen here. What are you saying? What do you think we can do? The amount of times that I've done that, and and I've coached at the moment, I've, I'm coaching uh, under twelves. By the end of the season, I expect them to be able to watch. To, to be playing a game and at halftime tell me what they think they we can do to try to 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 change the game or or to to solve a certain problem so if they're they're pressing in a certain way what do you think we can do and that comes with time 
and the first part about that and, and it is a process but the first step to that is i need them to pay attention to the opposition so from the very first game of the season i asked them set the other team up so we have a, a visual board set the other team up so that they can start to recognize patterns they can start to recognize pressing structures they can start to recognize certain things um, because that is attuning their attention to what is important or what will help them solve problems no for sure uh, i'm conscious of time of what we allotted for this and um yeah i guess one last question for me which is if i were to speak to the players you coach how would you hope they described you in three words and why i would hope that they would describe me as supportive um as passionate and and helpful because the experience of playing is for, especially for young players is it can be a if not done properly it can be a traumatic one one that that they it's it's very emotional and often young people don't have the emotional regulation to to know what they're feeling and to know how to process those feelings so to have someone alongside of them be like it's okay or hey you did well or whatever is required of that situation to to help them gain and develop the tools to to, to self-regulate uh that's helpful to to making sure that they enjoy the sport because if they do have a if they feel like it's a traumatic experience they're probably going to quit sooner rather than later and and i want them to continue the game and passionate because if hopefully if they see my passion because i'm very passionate about the sport it's something that's that's given me a lot and i want to to make sure that that continues on for the the, the players that i coach if they see how much i'm passionate about it then hopefully that through through uh being uh exposed to that passion they feel that passion as well um and then helpful because they're learning right they're learning and they at times they won't know the best way forward and and having somebody be like well have you given this a thought or what about this and have you tried this because my role as well is to help them understand the game better so through those things hopefully it's a, a an experience where they continue to enjoy it they continue to want to enjoy it in the future and they get better which will hopefully in, in, in ex, improve their their overall experience of it the more the better you are at something the more you enjoy it um so that's uh, yeah hopefully that answers it yeah no for sure i think three three really good answers in terms of you know how you're going to connect with kids to help them have longevity in the game most importantly and then hopefully uh enjoy it and and, and learn and you know if think of every person who's working with kids in sports kind of abides by those three rules you're not going too far wrong so yeah completely understand why they're they're, they're your three but yeah listen david really appreciate your time um thank you so much for for putting this into your diary and hopefully we can catch up again soon yeah thank you michael
Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.